welcome to The Unveiling with your hosts, Ajay, Mark, and Tim. Three guys discussing the one true gospel. We hope you enjoy today's discussion. Let's dive right in. Welcome to The Unveiling with your usual hosts. I'm Tim. I'm Mark. I'm Ajay. And we're here for what I believe is going to be episode number six of our Things I Used to Know or Debunking Christian Myths series, episode 14. And today we are only going to be covering one topic. We've usually covered uh, more than one in these, but this one has a little bit that we want to talk about. So we're going to only have the one topic today, and that is faith without works is dead. Oh, here's another reason why it's different. We actually agree with this, but it's us. It's not going to be for the reasons you think. So why don't we start with this, though, with a definition? And that is we want to try and define when we talk about law or works, and we kind of use those terms interchangeably. I want to see if I can get a handle on what we mean. And Mark uh, or Ajay, I'll give you guys a chance to respond as soon as I do this and if there's any clarifications. So I think we use this as as, uh, the definition is a system or mentality of earning, deserving, or meriting from God. And this includes a whole bunch of things in this loosely grouped term. It includes the formal Judaic law, works, works of the law, dead works, righteous acts, rules and regulations, performance theology, behavior modification, a lot of do this, don't do that kind of rule system. Did I did I about cover that? Yeah, I think you did a great job, Tim. It's really a mindset, and it really is what's become, unfortunately, through the centuries, what I call the Christian religion. Christianity is not meant to be a religion. Christianity is Christ. It's the good news of his grace, of God's great love for us, so much so that even in the midst of our failure, sin, and transgression, He sent Christ for us. So it's just a shame when people turn it into that religion and start adding things to it, you know. And and, and to me, that's more dangerous than just out-and-out cults or other world religions or even atheism because it makes people think, this is the gospel. This is it. I got it. And yet I'm walking around with guilt and condemnation, trying to do this, don't do that, you know. And, And that's... That's unfortunately one of the ways James telling us that faith without works is dead has been misinterpreted, misused, mistaught many times to control people and manipulate them. Yeah, back to the definition of the laws. My simplified definition is if you put anything as a condition of receiving anything from God, it is basically law, no matter how it comes or which form it takes. So if you have to do X to receive Y, yeah, right? So if you have to verb to get noun from God, that's, that's works and or law. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the, pr- the problem with it is it's very insidious. And, and the Apostle Paul says that even if you add one of those things, You've thrown a wrench into the entire thing because now you're obligated to do everything underneath whatever category you want to use, the Judaic law, right and wrong, do this, don't do that. If you're going to add one thing, you've corrupted everything. The grace is no longer grace. 
So you're saying if I'm under the law and I'm trying to follow the law to have my righteousness, if I break one law, I've lost my righteousness. And then the reverse is true. If I'm under grace and I start trying to apply the law, I've kind of lost my grace. Absolutely. I would not say, you know, we lose grace, but grace becomes ineffectual in our lives because to begin with, we did not obtain grace by doing something. So we cannot lose it by not doing something. Oh, that's good. No, that's a good clarification and uh, really much closer to what I was trying to say. So, all right. So this all comes from James. I already heard Mark mention it. Mention it. So why don't we quickly, why don't you, I'll, grab, I'll run over into James 2, starting at verse 14, go through 17, and then add uh, one more. James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And then, like I said a little bit further down, it says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Hmm, that's pretty strong. Yeah, Tim and Mark, this passage has been a difficult passage for everybody, right? Through ages, everyone debated why it is there, why James is writing this passage. And in fact, Martin Luther went to the extent of saying, you know, this does not belong to the new covenant. And other great men of God said that, you know, it is talking about justification before man, not God. But regardless, one thing we know for sure is that we are justified by faith alone without works of the law. In fact, we talked about a couple of uh, scriptures already, and Mark, you mentioned this. In Romans chapter 1, Paul, after going through a, through a systematic argument, and saying that, you know, after establishing that there is nobody who is righteous, no, not one, and we all have fallen short of the glory of God. After that, he goes on to say in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And in Romans chapter 4 and 5, he says, chapter 4, 4 and 5, he says, now to him that works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him that does not work, but believes on him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You know, one thing to note here is, it's very important. He says, you know, the faith, it's not the faith that works and believes that is counted as righteousness, but it is the faith that does not work. You know, if you add faith to works, the least common denominator is always the works. You believe all you want, but if you did not fulfill the condition of the work, you lose it all. And we know clearly in the Bible, like this is my favorite verse, Mark, again, you mentioned that if it is by grace, it cannot be by works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. And if it is by works, it is no longer of grace because work is no longer work. So work and grace, they negate each other. It's like light and darkness. Only one can exist. If you turn on the light, darkness is not there. And if you take away the light, you have darkness. Similarly, if you turn on works, grace is no longer there. And if you turn on grace, work have no place. So it's very important to understand. Sometimes without thinking through, we just accept anything that comes our way. 
But adding, no matter what James is saying, no matter what the interpretation is, one thing we know for sure from the scriptures is that we cannot add works to grace or we cannot add works to saving faith. No, otherwise the thief on the cross wouldn't have made it into heaven. Yeah. He he only had one thing, faith. Yep, yep. Yeah, to me, just the overall writing, wonderful umbrella is all Jesus all the time. Anything else is just foreign. It doesn't belong in there. It's just polluting the gospel. It's all about Christ and what he did. It's his works, not ours. Well, you know, another thing that comes to mind out of this is a, a lot of people seem to be teaching faith alone through Christ alone is all great at the point of salvation. IJ, your sister was telling you a story, or not telling you a story, but answering a question, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So I was in India. I think we talked about it before as well. So I was kind of, uh, my parents, they play gospel channels all the time. So I was sitting there and watching several channels and uh, the theme is the same. It's always about what we have to do. It's always about looking inwardly and then, you know, trying to get rid of our sins, right? Trying harder. So I asked my sister, why is it, you know, everybody's talking about what we have to do instead of talking about what Christ already did for us? And her answer was very profound. She said, they think that grace is only for salvation. But after we are saved, you know, it is up to us, right? So, but again, I think James is also used, misused for this rather, right? So they say, see, you know, faith without works is dead. You know, yeah, it is well and good. You are saved by faith. But now, you know, you have to on your, uh, by your own strength, right? You need to make sure that you have enough works to justify your salvation. But Paul is clear on this, right? In Galatians 3, this is one of our uh, favorite passages. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it was really in vain? So again, I ask you, does God give you a spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited, credited to him for righteousness. So I think here it's interesting that he quoted the scripture we use for justification in the context of sanctification. So what he's saying is, you know, the same faith that made you righteous is the same faith that supplies you the Spirit and works miracles among you. So walking in the Spirit and living this victorious Christian life is also by faith, not by the works of the law. Absolutely. You know, Ajay and Tim, uh, this, this faith without works dead issue has never scared me in the least. In fact, because it's a moot point, this same... The same way that it's being used incorrectly now to try to get people to work harder, to give more, to add things to the gospel, their own sufficiency in doing good works, this has been brought against Christians for centuries. In fact, it was at the heart of the issue in the Great Reformation. And one of the most famous discourses back in that time was when a Cardinal Sotoletto 
attacked the great reformers by putting this full page article in the Geneva, Switzerland newspaper. Now, I'm going to try to keep this concise, but here's what Sal Doletto said to attack the great reformers, the second wave of them among who was John Calvin. He said, whoever says that men are justified by the free gift of Christ's righteousness or by the free gift of forgiveness of sins, or also that the grace by which we are justified is only the favor of God, let him be cursed. So he's calling down a curse on anybody who believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the good news of his grace. That was his charge. Now, Calvin didn't freak out. Calvin was one of the most brilliant men that ever lived. He had PhDs as long as his arm. And and, and this, this response, which is a complete, you could almost print a book, book out of. I'm just going to get to the core to his answer, though. He said, Calvin said, I want the reader to understand that whenever we mention salvation by faith alone, we are not talking about a dead faith devoid of love, but we are proclaiming faith to be the only cause of justification. So now referring to this attack by Sadaletto, he said, this lie meant to smear our reputation, which our opponents always have in their mouths, is that we are taking away the desire for doing good from the Christian life by teaching that righteousness is a free gift. And here's what he says and resonates with me. He says, this claim is too frivolous to give us much concern. So he said, I'm not going to worry about this. This is such a weak argument. He said, if we truly understood how inseparable faith and works are, look to Christ, who has been given to us for justification and for sanctification. As Ajay mentioned before, and as Calvin mentions a little further on, which I won't read, he says, you know what? Anytime someone puts their faith in Christ, they receive Christ, they are given the Holy Spirit as a deposit and as a seal of ownership. And it's the spirit of sanctification. So a true faith in Christ will always have works. You don't even have to worry about that. Your focus is Christ alone. And that's what the, the most dangerous misuse of the Scripture is, is that it takes our eyes off of Christ and makes us look at ourselves and say, oh, I hope I have enough works so that I can prove that my faith isn't dead. You don't have to do that. That's not the kind of freedom that Christ calls us to. Whom the Son sets free has set you free indeed. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 5.1 that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm again and do not let yourself be burned again by a yoke of slavery, which he goes on to say is the law. It's works. So that's not the life that Christ means for us, is to constantly be looking over our shoulder, wondering if we've sinned one too many times or if we have one too few works <laughs> to qualify for sanctification and salvation. Yeah, Calvin and you, Mark, made an awesome point that, you know, most of us miss. You know, I think some of, most of the time, you know, this kind of, uh, Interpretation comes from the fact that not understanding what actually salvation is, right? Salvation is Christ himself. When we are saved, when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We receive Christ himself. And the Bible is clear on this, right? Of God, 
he is made unto us righteousness redemption righteousness sanctification and wisdom right i am not saying it in the same order but the same one who is my righteousness is also my sanctification so for someone to say that you know faith is only for uh, salvation and it does not produce works is basically saying that christ is only for salvation he does not produce any good works in your life but that is far from truth right so for us you know really we do not like you said it's too frivolous we don't even have to um, worry about it because in salvation we are receiving christ himself right and we can rest in him the the one that saved me is also able to keep me and is also able to produce good works in me i mean it kind of reminds me not kind of it actually reminds me of john chapter 15 right he is the vine and we are the branches if the vine is good the branch has no choice but to bear, uh, bear fruit and those who are saying that the branches will not bear fruit are saying that the vine is bad in other words saying that christ is bad he has not the power to produce good works in us this reminds me sitting inside of a russian cathedral looking at the back wall and a big painting of the you know god holding a set of scales and i asked uh, uh, my tour guide was a cantor in the russian church and i told asked him i said please explain to me what this is he goes well that's the judgment when you get to heaven you're going to be weighed your good works and your bad works and you know if if you got enough good works you'll get into heaven and if you have too many bad works or don't have enough good works you'll go you know to hell and i'm like well how do you know where you stand on that at any given moment he goes you don't that's why you have to strive so hard and all i could think in my head was that's exhausting you know jesus said my my yoke is easy my burden is light that doesn't sound light or, or unburdensome to me you know and the other thing go ahead and the other thing i was going to say is you know after having been in the church and i know i've kind of said this before i think we all have church was a lot about behavior modification as well because they'd give us seven points to a better prayer life to you know three weeks to a better marriage and every week we'd apply ourselves and the next week there'd be something different and you never seemed to ever catch up with the ones you thought you already had a handle on and you couldn't you were constantly being piled with things to do again no no light burden there and and guilt all the time because of how you felt about where you stood on things and I said at the beginning, we actually agreed with faith without works is dead. And I'm going to, I'm going to say, Mark, we agree with that because of what? Well, it's Jesus' works. It's not our own works. Is that where you were going for there? Okay. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Tim, as you're just talking about trying to still catch up from the, the works from the week before in church, and it reminds me when I was a kid, I had a pet gerbil with a gerbil wheel. And the harder and faster he ran, the more tired he got, but he still never went anywhere, my poor little gerbil. <laughs> and that's, that's, what, that's what the law, that's what works is. And you know, the Apostle Paul, he doesn't have enough bad things to say about the law. You know, he calls it, he calls it the law of sin and death. He calls it a yoke of slavery. He calls trying to live by works, living by the elemental and miserable forces of this world. Someday we'll have to have a podcast on just every bad thing that 
that, that I don't believe he ever called it a gerbil wheel, but he should have. So the thing, the problem with this whole misuse is that it not just hurts believers. It not only puts believers on this gerbil wheel, puts guilt and condemnation on their shoulders, keeps them from seeing God clearly. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 said that works are a veil between you and God that makes your mind dull and your vision of God weak. It's putting a literal veil between us. And our contemplation and right view of Jesus is what transforms us so that we do have good works. So the very thing you're trying to do when you try to do good works is actually short-circuiting the only way you're ever going to get good works, and that's by relying on Christ alone to do that in you and through you. So it's really backwards. And just, just to follow up, but it's not just hurting believers. It's also hurting the lost, unbelieving people in this world, because throughout the ages, They all think they know what the gospel is, and they don't want any part of that. Who wants more rules and regulations? I'm already part of a belief system and religion that has me do this, don't do that, uh, trying hard to merit this. You know, who wants a part of that? I wouldn't. That must be where we got the unveiling from. I think so. I think that's probably exactly where we got it from. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on that point, Mark, you know, I have known churches where people flock to these churches, right? Tim, you talked about uh, teaching people how to be a good husband, how to be a good this, how to be a good steward of uh, the finances that God gave you, right? So I have been very surprised that, uh, you know, people flock to that. Like thousands and thousands of people are members of the church, but every week they're being taught how to be a good husband, right? How to do this, how to do that. In, on the surface, you know, it looks good, but I think uh, many of them, you know, they don't realize that they can't do it. And again, I think the underlying cause for that is, you know, they are still hankering on to the law. You know, their life is based on the law and doing because they think, you know, by the deeds of the law, you know, I can become something. They are attracted to this uh, kind of teaching. But I'm very, very surprised, you know, until we understand that there is nothing in us. Paul says that, you know, in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. So many people have not come to that realization. They still think there is still some merit to the flesh and God will still bless them based on the good works, being a good husband or being a good steward of the finances. You know, they still see those as means of God's blessings. But when they realize that, you know, these amount to nothing, only then, you know, they'll turn towards... uh, gracefully. What they don't understand is that the moment they put their faith in Christ, there was nothing left for God to give them. Scripture says in Romans 8, I believe, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You don't need to work for some extra things. They're already yours. I heard uh, one of our old pastors say that most Christians are working really hard to get into a room that they're already in. You know, I always, I always love that illustration. So, so that, that the damage it's doing to unbelievers, beside believers, is it's they don't understand the love of God. 
how great his love is. And so they're rejecting what they don't even know they're, you know, they, I would reject what they're rejecting. I, we don't need another religion. We need Jesus. So I, I would say that uh, some of these messages these pastors are preaching on how to, you know, be a better person and how to behave properly on the surface, I have, I haven't got a problem with them. You know, I mean, I have, uh, there's a whole set of books in the government about things I can and can't do called laws. And I still have to do those. So we're not saying that I can go out and rob a bank and God will, you know, not, God won't hold that against me in his books, but I still have to go through what's going on in the world. So sometimes a little behavior modification on your part just to live in the world better is one thing, but don't think that any of that is going to buy you anything with God. It comes back to the fact that, like you said, Ajay, your sister said, people believe in grace for salvation. But if I couldn't get to salvation without grace, because I couldn't keep any, I couldn't keep enough of the law, how do I think just accepting Jesus is going to change that? I'm still human. I still make mistakes. I still have problems. So, I need that grace to continue following me the rest of my life. I'm not going out to do these things, but I don't, you know, God's not going to hold them against me. If, if I, if I slip and fall and do something, God's not going to hold that against me and say, well, you know, you're out of heaven, kids. See you later. Hit the bricks. Ajay, referring back to something you just said, where you'll see these giant churches and people just flocking to hear people preach works and law. There's a scripture I'm reminded of that I've usually heard taken out of context, but it's, there's a way that seems right to a man, but only leads to death. It seems right to human beings that we would have to follow these rules and don't do this, do that. That's very intuitive. We see it everywhere in life, but there's nowhere we see the kind of unconditional sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. So we have nothing to compare it to. It's counterintuitive. It's a paradox, as some would say. There aren't any conditions. God loves you so much that he's done it all for you and given you all. And so, yeah, I'm also reminded of another scripture, Mark. This is also usually misinterpreted, I think, is for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So usually, again, I think we interpret more in the context of sin and, you know, obedience to God. But if you un- if you understand this in context, right, verse 1 is saying, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he that has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. So if you interpret in the context, right, his thoughts, you know, the way that is higher than our way is the way of grace. Many people don't understand that. In the lower way, right? Our way is the way of the law. Sorry, Tim, I think you were going to say something. Go ahead. Can I cut in here? Um, what I was going to say is that for all you listening out there, especially pastors, it is of vital importance to the church and to the world 
that you come into the revelation of the one true gospel of grace. This world needs preachers and pastors to preach the gospel. I can't think of one greater need in this world right now or ever <laughs> is, is that. And when you, if you're a student of scripture, which I'm sure you are if you're a pastor or even if you're not a pastor, Paul spent the biggest chunk of all his energy and thoughts and life on preaching this gospel. He said, my one aim was finishing the task the Lord Jesus Christ had given him, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Okay? And then the thing that he spent the second amount of most amount of time and thought and passion for was protecting that gospel of grace from anyone trying to add even one work. Read the book of Galatians. That's what that whole book is about, is Paul getting very angry at people trying to put to put burdens and add things to the gospel. He calls it perverting the gospel. We need uh, Christians out there to get into the word, word and pray for a revelation of the one true gospel and then start preaching that. We all need it. Christians need it. Unbelievers need it. And, and, and just look at the life of Paul, what his priorities were. Those were his two main priorities. And just to finish up that thought, not to, not to uh, hog the time here, though, is that there's so much in Scripture to teach pastors, small group leaders, whoever, what and how to preach. So it's, it's just a shame that we've veered so far off track. In Titus 3, 4, one of my favorite scriptures is in a letter from the Apostle Paul to a young pastor who he put in charge of one of his churches. It's one of what's called the pastoral letters. So Paul writes to him, well, first of all, I want to say this. We're not trying to be hard on pastors and preachers. That's one of the hardest jobs out there. I mean, you know, and they throw so much on them now. You don't have to just be able to preach the gospel. You need to be able to counsel people, visit people in hospitals. You need to have financial. You know, it's just, it's a tough job, and we're thankful for you. But we also need you to get into the pure gospel. And this is how Paul is telling you how to do it. He's telling Titus as an example. This is Titus 3, 4. He says, When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. He saved us by the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And now the Apostle Paul, one of the most trustworthy men to ever walk the planet, takes the time to say, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things. Now, many well-intentioned preachers out there what they want for their congregation is good works and holy lives. See them being generous people with strong marriages and raising their kids. You know, they want good things and they're well-intentioned. But the problem is, it's the how. They've got the how wrong. They think it's that it's by our strength, by following the law, by works. Now listen to what Paul says after he says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things. This is so that 
those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. This is excellent and praiseworthy and profitable for everyone. So it's the how that a lot of pastors have wrong. Now, I don't doubt that there are some ill-intentioned pastors that are purposely trying to control and manipulate and guilt their congregations into doing what they want. We know that during the Reformation times, that's what was happening. They had developed very evil practices to get money, to send soldiers to war, promising them salvation. You could buy your loved ones out of purgatory. You know, uh, but there are very m- many well-intentioned ones. It's, they just don't understand that the how of reaching those good things. And one thing we try to always put a disclaimer is we're not saying doing good works is bad. Reading your Bible is not bad. Giving to the poor, those are obviously all good things. But when you're doing it to earn or merit to deserve instead of trusting in Christ alone, it becomes an evil thing. It becomes perversion of the gospel. It's not a neutral thing. Oh, you know what? I'll have a little insurance policy. Yeah, I know that my salvation's by by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But I'll just add some good works, just in case, you know, just in case I got it wrong. But what they don't realize what they're doing is they're corrupting the gospel. It's not a neutral thing. They're hurting themselves and other people. Yeah, just in case, you know, someone is wondering why these guys are always harping on grace and harping on not being under the law. Galatians 5.4 says, Christ is of no effect unto you. Whosoever, whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. So uh, our desire, and I, I would think everybody's desire, is that Christ be of effect to us, right? The only way Christ can be of effect to us is if we are not under the law, if we don't try to be justified by the law. And for me personally, I don't know about others, but for me personally, I want Christ to be 100% of effect to me. And that is the reason we, and as humans, right, we are so ingrained in the law from the beginning. You know, the whole world is based on performance mindset, right? If you go to the employer and say, hey, hey, can you pay me by grace? You know, he's going to show you the door, right? So the whole world is based on the system of the law. And it is very easy for us to just get succumbed into this law mindset. But unfortunately, if, it is by the law, you know, Christ is of no effect to us. So that's one of the reasons, you know, we are so adamant to say that, you know, we are not under the law and we are under grace. And the only way to live the Christian life is by grace and not by the works of the law. We're not just adamant about it. We're excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> the word gospel literally comes from the Greek word evangelion, which means good tidings and good news. That's not strong enough. This is the greatest news that's ever come into existence in the history of this planet anytime and anywhere. There's nothing more valuable, more powerful, more exciting, more delightful than the gospel, the message of God's grace. And you know what? Uh, there's a, Paul says that if you, ma- you, you mix a little bit of yeast in with the batch, It makes the whole batch bad. So when you add even one work, you're taking this pure, wonderful thing and just polluting and perverting it. We're excited about getting this message out, and we hope you are too, and we know the Apostle Paul was. 
And Aj, if it requires I buy a harp and learn how to play it, it's just to get the message across, I'm willing. As long as it's a blue <laughs> harp, man. <you> know? <laughs> <laughs> so no, that's good. And Paul does teach every I mean in many different places about against works uh mixed gospel. I, I think there's even one in Galatians, one that's uh where he calls it no gospel at all when it's mixed. Yep. Yeah. He says that living in the grace of Christ, they've turned to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Right there within that sentence, it's telling you that living in the grace of Christ is the gospel. Yep. Turn to anything different, it's no gospel. Yeah. Uh, would you like to wrap us up with Ephesians 2? Do you have that one? Yeah, definitely. I think what we are saying today is not that you know good works are not important. But, you know, how those good works are produced, it's not by the effort of our flesh, but it is by the Lord Jesus Christ, who has actually prepared these good works for us. And this is beautifully summarized in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, right? For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are not, again, saying that good works are bad and we should not be doing that, but it is important to understand how those good works are produced. And thank God, the one who saved us, he also prepared these good works for us. So our part is to simply rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. And our part is to simply behold him, behold his love for us and behold his love on the cross. So we have the cross always in front of our eyes and rest of it will be taken care for us. I'd like to read that scripture one more time, putting an emphasis on what I would consider to be the most important words. It says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're not our own handiwork. We don't work on ourselves, which so many churches, you go and sit down and that's what you get. You need to start doing this. I'm going to guilt you. I'm going to encourage you, cheerlead you, teach you, help you to try to do this, do that, and don't do this, don't do that. That's a gerbil wheel, people. Jump off it. Get in the race. <laughs> so like an apple tree doesn't try to grow apples. An apple tree just produces apples because that's what it is. Yep. We, with the Spirit of God in us, our right, we are righteous, we are holy, we are going to produce fruit as a natural result. The harder we try, the less we'll produce, and the fruit that does get produced through the Spirit is going to be the fruit that truly feeds others. And I, I, I think this is a, I think this is a really good place for us to almost wrap up. Last words, guys. I just wanted to finish that analogy about the apple tree. I think it's such a it's a great analogy. An apple tree doesn't try to produce good fruit. It doesn't get in a small group with other apple trees to try to learn how to produce fruit brother, uh, better. It doesn't go to a big building with thousands of other apple trees to hear a, an expert apple tree on stage pounding on them, telling them, guilting them, teaching them, encouraging them how to grow fruit. What does an apple tree do? Sinks its roots deep in the good soil. It drinks in the living water, turns its leaves up to the sun, and produces effortlessly beautiful fruit. In fact, the fruit that God prepared in advance for it to produce. Yeah, I've, I'm also going to use the same analogy, but uh, use the scriptures in John 15. Lord Jesus said, you know, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
and if you abide in me and if you abide in my love you will produce fruit so he also goes on to say he has chosen us lord himself has chosen us to bear fruit so we don't really have to work at it and stress about it simply abide in the lord jesus christ and abide in his love and simply resting in the fact that we are in the lord jesus christ and resting in his love we will produce fruit amen well thank you very much everybody we hope this has fed you today and we encourage you if you have any questions or comments to contact us that information will be at the end and we pray that you all have a great week and we look forward to talking to you again next week We would like to thank you for listening to The Unveiling. We hope you have enjoyed it enough to consider subscribing and sharing with others. We welcome your questions, comments, and feedback. You can reach us via email at theunveiledgospel at yahoo.com or find our Facebook page at The Unveiling Podcast. For IJ, Mark, and myself, God bless, and we will talk with you next time.